So good to see all of you this morning. Um, I'm, I'm still struggling. I actually got really sick after last Sunday when I said, man, my voice is kind of losing it. Uh, I ended up getting really sick. And um, so I still kind of have some junk. So I apologize in advance if you're grossed out. My wife usually is when I do. So I figured you might be as well. Um, and I was talking with Dave and Kevin earlier this week. And Kevin Martin is going to be gone. And uh, he was gone last week. He had graduated with his master's in business administration, which was uh, pretty an amazing achievement. And so I want to give him thanks for that. And I clapped because um, he was going to be disappointed that he was going to miss this week. And so he was joking around saying, what we'll do is I'll call Dave and we'll put Dave's phone up on the podium. And so, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's really funny. But no, they did. He's actually on a minute and 40 seconds now. Hello? Yeah, okay, he's there. So <laughs> I hope he's listening. But um, uh, so we could give Kevin a big congratulations. He will hear you. So you could talk to him afterward if you'd like and, and continue to use up all of his minutes. So um, uh, with that, let's begin um, by reading this morning's scripture passage. And it will be in Genesis chapter 2. I had several passages, but I think we're just going to focus on Genesis chapter 2 this morning. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 4, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to, the water, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the river, the third river, is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree, of every tree, of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens 
and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he had made into and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We are in a series on our belief statement, 13 paragraph or section uh, statement on what it is that we believe that the Bible teaches, what we believe is um, essential for Christians to believe. And uh, we started with the triune God several weeks back, and we looked at uh, Revelation. And t- today, last week and today, we looked at creation. Last week, we looked at creation, kind of humanity in general, um, or creation in general. God is our creator in general. But today, we're going to take a, a different emphasis, and we're going to focus on God is creating man as male and female. God creating mankind as male and female. And so I would like for us to read together uh, the next two sentences of our belief statement. And then we're going to expound on these and we'll be looking at our passage and and other things as well. So if you would, read along with me these two sentences. Men and women, equally made in the image of God, enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one-flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women, such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. So four sections I want to cover today, and you're welcome to follow along in our outline, too. Um, We're going to be looking at the creation of man and woman, mankind, in God's image as male and female. And so I want to review a little bit about the creation accounts. There's actually two creation accounts, Genesis chapter 1 and the passage we read today in Genesis chapter 2. actually begins in chapter 4. Two different completely different accounts, um, but, are, but are both kind of describing the same thing. Um, a professor, uh, author that I like, he said one of, one of them is kind of like the Google Earth view and one of them is like the Google Street view, right? So it's not that they're two conflicting accounts, although some kind of see them as two different conflicting accounts. They're actually two accounts of the same activity, but with completely different emphases, completely different points that are trying to be made. So in chapter 1, you see a little bit like we talked last week is God being transcendent from his creation. He's separate. He's distinct. God just 
hovers over the chaos of the waters and he just speaks. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And then at the end, he looks on it and he goes, this is all very good, right? So that you kind of get a flavor of God being kind of transcending creation in the first Google Earth creation account. But in Genesis chapter 2, something, it, something takes a little different kind of angle, different look to it. This is the Google Street View. And this one, you have more of God's eminence happening, more of his presence, his active involvement in creation. And you could even say it's almost very intimate involvement. This is evident because in uh, phrases like God formed the man out of the dust of the, the earth. This is language of, um, it's the same term that's used for a potter, shaping clay, like literally taking clay and formed it. Humanity was formed according to God's plan and his design. It's different than creation where he kind of just speaks it. That's true. It says that he formed the animals out of the dust as well too, which, um, which reminds us that we are, you know, kind of, we're still human. We're still earthly creatures. We're, um, we're dirt. <laughs> we're, we're dust. We're the dust of the ground. We only have life because God breathes life into us. So you see the intimacy that's there? God forming the man. God breathing into his nostrils. God placing the man in the garden. And later we see in Genesis chapter 3, him walking with the man in the garden. God and man in communion together. So there's, so there's two creation accounts. Uh, and so there's differences. You know, obviously there's a couple of the differences I'd outlined here, but there's some similarities. And the similarities are that in both accounts mentions the creation of mankind according to two sexes, to two, to two genders, male and female, in both accounts. So we're going to look at the uh, couple of aspects of this um, this creation of man, humanity, as male and female. First thing I want to point out is the equality that exists between male and female. This is evident in our passage here. Men and women equally made in the image of God. Enjoy equal access to God. Both are called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to engagement in family church. So both... Um, both the man and the woman are made in the image of God. And we saw this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So if you're still there, look at these, uh, these verses. If you're still there, it just should be the previous, shouldn't have to go too far. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. And this is almost presented in poetic form. You might see that as how it's indented in your, in your, um, your translation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So both men, both men and women are equally made in the image of God. Both uh, have equally the same dignity and value and worth and purpose. Um, both, incidentally, are also fallen creatures as well, too, as we see in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Both end up receiving um, curses for their sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. 
But both men and women are equally redeemable as well. We see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where Paul writes and he says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new... Well, that's, that's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, he says, if anyone is in Christ... I just said the same verse over again. Um, Galatians 3 says, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Got my wires crossed there. That's a, it's, the, it's the synapses are clogged from the congestion. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3, 28. So all are, so men and women, both equally created in God's image to reflect him, to display his glory. Both are experienced the fall. Both are redeemed. Both are responsible to serve. And both will be equally resurrected and glorified. This is, this is a theme throughout uh, scripture. Male and female are in the image of God. So the relationship, and, and the, notice that uh, in chapter 1, it says, and let us make, we talked about you starting to see this plurality that exists, you know, not saying explicitly that this is the Trinity, but there, there is really good suggestion that you have God talking, the different persons of the Trinity deliberating in the creation of man, saying, let us make in our image, male and female. So there's... There's a strong indication here that what exists between the persons of the Trinity is replicated in the different persons of male and female, right? So male and female, different. They're different persons, but equal. And you see the same thing happening in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, different persons, but equal and completely Completely one. Now, a couple of cautions. This doesn't mean that, you know, if you're a single person, you're like half of the image of God. Um, that's taking that a little too far. Um, you know, like I'm just a man, so I'm only half of the image of God. That's, uh, that's not quite what this passage is saying. But it is saying that God originally created humanity in two distinct genders. And he did that on purpose. So we are equally created in God's image. So men and, men and women equally made in the image of God enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus. But this equality does not mean that, that humanity is interchangeable. doesn't mean that God didn't just create one gender and that one person of that gender can match up with any person in that gender, right? He actually intentionally created two distinct genders, two distinct sexes. And this is, this is from creation, the very creation of the very first historical people. And so there is, uh, there's equality, but there's distinction as well, too. So it's equality with distinction. And this is evident here in our, their next sentence. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one flesh union. We see this here in Genesis chapter uh, 2. Uh, let's look at uh, verse 18. There's an interesting phrase that happens here. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Okay, so God looks at all of creation. He says, after every day, it's very good. And then he sees all of creation. It's very good. And then we get to man. Man. And he sees this is not good because he's alone. He doesn't have his complement. There's a sense in which we had Adam naming all of the animals coming by, you know, in twos. And, and he's like, they, they have a complementary pair. I don't. I don't have a complementary pair. And so God sees this and he goes, this is, not, this is not good. And so he says, I will make for him a helper fit for him or suitable for him. This is an interesting word. This is, uh, give, let me give you the Hebrew word. Um, the word fit for him is actually one word. Konegdo. Konegdo. Can you say that? Konegdo. Konegdo. Exactly. Okay. And this is, it's actually three different words kind of combined together to make one word. The ka is like. So it's similarities. It's finding, you know, there's a similarity. There's something that are like each other. They resemble each other. They're, um, they, they look alike. But then there's uh, the, the neg part comes from neged, which means to, means in front of or in sight of or opposite. The verb means like to reveal, to declare, to make known. And so when uh, the he, uh, Hebrew is not a very uh, abstract language, it's very concrete. So if you're talking about an item that has been revealed or make known, it's, well, it's right in front of you. It's the thing that's right in front of you. It's right in front of your face. Um, so I kind of my little paraphrase of it. It's, it's right in front of you or it's before your very eyes, face to face. And then the last little part, the O, means him. So it's, it kind of can literally be kind of rendered. It's really difficult kind of phrase, but it could be rendered like but opposite him. Suitable. Um, complementary. Corresponding. The thing that corresponds to. Does that make sense? So if Adam were saying this, it would be, she's like me, she's like me, uh, but she's different from me. How many married couples do we have here? How many of you could say this about yourself and your, you know, that my spouse is like me, but they're different from me, right? Very different. Um, my wife, and uh, I should share this story as well too this week. This week, um, my wife came up to me with a question. Um, and she goes, the dog just threw up on the floor. And, um, and so I was like, okay. She goes, uh, what do you want to do? She's holding the baby. She goes, do you want to clean the dog, the, the vomit off of the floor, or do you want to hold the baby? And so uh, I went, huh, let me think about it. Let me think about that. Um, you know what? I'll hold the baby. So I'm thinking, you know, this is, I got, this is easy. I'll take the baby. So she hands me the baby. She goes, great, here. By the way, she just pooped her diaper. Will you go change her? <laughs> so, and I just was thinking, I have to talk about that on Sunday. I just have to bring that up. Um, my wife and I are different. I would never have done that to her. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's not here. Uh, it's recorded. She can know that I said that. I would have done that to her. But, but, you, but it was one of those moments this week, again, where I'm reminded, you know, we're like each other, but we're different, right? We can all recognize as husbands and wives, uh, or if you're engaged to be married, you know, the, um, you, you have a, a significant other, you recognize, like, we're like each other, but we're, we're different. And this is reflected in what Adam says. 
when God actually creates the woman, and she takes it actually out of a part of him, his rib, it says, the Lord God had taken, and he forms the woman. He makes the woman, and he brings her to the man. And the man said, this is the very first words, human words recorded. The very first record of the very first human words ever recorded in history is this phrase right here. I think that's significant. Because everything that's happened so far is a narration of events, the creation of the world. Um, and then you have the man that is formed. You have God talking, you know, directing to the man. You have speech from God. But you don't have man speaking. These are the very first words. And he says this when he sees the woman. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's looking at her going, whoa, man, this is, this is great. This is someone who is like me, but different than me. Like me, but opposite me, face to face. So there's a distinction that exists between, um, between male and female, between Adam and Eve. So we're equal, but we're distinct. And this is what it means when it says, um, Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one flesh union. And this has huge implications. I think this is very significant and very huge implications. When we understand that this is the pattern, the design, the way God made humanity. Everywhere in the world, there's two genders, but all are human, all exist in the image of God, equal with distinction. So this has huge implications. It has implications for uh, human sexuality. Implications for human sexuality. And this is uh, evident in the phrase, in a one flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women. What Adam and Eve were created, like but opposite each other, this forms the basis for sexual, the sexual context. And as a matter of fact, we see this here at even at the last closing verses. After God presents the woman to the man, it reads this kind of concluding little statement. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So the context for human sexuality is one man and one woman in the context of marriage. One flesh. So what is outside of that? This could get quite controversial. We can, there's no end to what we can talk about on what is outside of that pattern. So, a sex between a man and a woman outside of marriage is not the normative pattern. That's not God's design. That's not God's plan. Um, polyamory, multiple in, uh, sexual encounters. One person with multiple people. That's not God's pattern. 
That's not the normative pattern. That's not God's plan. Open marriages, incest, even hate to say some of the words that are prevalent. Um, zoophilia, bestiality. These, I bring these up because these are actually becoming common in our culture. Don't Google it, but if you were to Google some of the words I said, you would be shocked. Or you should be. There's an erosion that's happening in a, a movement that's going against what God's design and God's plan for sexuality is. And last but not least, homosexuality. And this is really controversial. This is, um, this is why Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 1. Because it's the supreme example of idolatry. It's the supreme example of the worshiping of the self. Right? Because what it is, is it's saying, I don't want my Ezer Konegdo. I want me. I want someone just like me. This is flipping God's created design and pattern all around. All of these are gaining acceptance in our culture today. All of them. And we could go on and on. We could give examples, illustrations, TV shows, movies. Um, you, again, you'd be shocked at what is out there. And it constantly is working against God's design and God's pattern. And so this also has implications for uh, marriage as well, too. Marriage. One man and one woman. In one flesh. This also is being challenged in our culture today. I would never have thought, I can't even uh, have imagined 15 years ago, where we would actually have six states now, District of Columbia, that's now expanded the definition of marriage. I would never have even imagined. But this is the direction that this is moving. This is, this is why this paragraph is included in our belief statement, because this is so essential to understanding God's pattern and God's design for how sexuality is to be and what marriage is to be. And so it has implications for those things. It also has implications for family and church, and we're going to talk about that in, in coming weeks. Um, but there's one other uh, implication that this has for us as well. And that's the implication of for the gospel. The implication for the gospel. What do you mean, implication for the gospel? Um, like our phrase says, Adam and Eve were created to complement each other in a one flesh union such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of union between Christ and his church. Marriage functions as, a, as the supreme example of the union between Christ and his church. Let, let's flesh this out uh, uh, just a little bit here as well, too. Turn to um, Ephesians chapter 5. 
This is Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5 to the church at Ephesus. And he has just recapped for them what the gospel is. This is the, this is the letter where um, many of you might be familiar with this, this phrase. It's a verse that gets memorized, Galatians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not a gift, or this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which that we should walk in them. And then he goes on to talk about how this uh, mystery of how God has brought together Jews and Gentiles. We talked about this in our Acts series, too, how uh, God has now invited all through faith, the faith of Abraham. So you don't have to become Jewish. It's, this is all humankind is the, the object of uh, God's message of grace through faith. So he flushes that out a little bit, and then he gets to chapter 5. And he talks about how to be very careful how we walk, be very careful how we live, being filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And he addresses... Uh, he concludes by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He addresses wives, submit to your husbands as to Christ, for the husband is the head. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then skip on down to verse 31, where Paul actually quotes the very first recorded human words in Genesis chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2, 24, I believe. But then he says this. So he says, this is marriage. This is husbands and wives. One flesh. This is all grounded in creation. It's grounded in the story of Adam and Eve. They form the normative example, the normative pattern for, for human sexuality. They form the normative pattern for human marriage. And here's why. Here's why. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, he says. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. The mystery. Marriage. The mystery of marriage actually is a profound mystery that puts on display the union of Christ and his church. So husbands and wives, or soon-to-be husbands, or eventually husbands, um, how you love and honor and serve your wife models, pictures, illustrates the love of Christ for his bride, the church. Wives, your respectful interaction with your husbands models the church is re, re, uh, response to Christ. Husbands and wives picture the union of Christ and his bride, the church. And this is a theme that happens all throughout Scripture. You see marriage happening in the very opening creation accounts with the very first human couples. Um, and then sin enters into the world. God calls Abraham. He calls his descendants out of slavery in Egypt. And he takes them to Mount Sinai and he basically has a marriage ceremony. 
says, we're, I'm offering you these vows. You offer these vows. Um, you agree to these vows with me. We enter into relationship. That's what happens at Mount Sinai. So much so that when Israel wanders away from their faithful relationship with God, it's deemed uh, adultery. It's, uh, they've played the whore. Israel has. And God even says, I had to issue you in, Je in Jeremiah chapter 3. I've even had to issue you let papers for divorce. God has even been divorced from his bride, his people. And then Jesus comes in many of his parables. When he talks about the kingdom, it's like a, it's like a wedding banquet. It's like a wedding banquet. And at the very end, the picture in Revelation is of his bride, the bride of Christ, coming to dwell with him forever. So marriage is kind of a theme of the union of Christ with his people. What a high calling that places on us in our marriages, doesn't it? Husbands and wives. One man, one woman, united together. One flesh, like but opposite us. We need to honor that, not only in our culture, uh, not only in the laws of our culture, but we need to honor that in how we love each other and care for each other in our homes. Agreed? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as the church does to Christ. Let's end by saying our paragraph again. <coughs> and if you would stand, please. <coughs> The creation of humanity, men and women, equally made in the image of God, enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus, and are both called to move beyond passive self-indulgence to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. Adam and Eve were made to complement each other in a one-flesh union that establishes the only normative pattern of sexual relations for men and women such that marriage ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, how truly uh, wondrous that it is that you would bring your people back into relationship with you through what Christ has done on the cross. Our sin our guilt, our transgressions are removed, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And when we come to him and surrender ourselves and trust in him, we become his people and his bride. And God, we thank you that you have created us male and female 
equal, both displaying the image of God, but God, we are grateful that you made us different. God, may we honor that in our lives because we know that our marriages here are a microcosm. They reflect the divine marriage that you have displayed through Christ and your people. We praise you for that. God, now we ask that you fill us with your spirit as we depart from this place for this week. And may we see, for those of us who are married, may we see our spouse with new eyes, having understood that what took place on on our wedding days was not just a, a ceremony. We were actually replicating what you have done with your people. And for those who are considering marriage and you know entering into that stage of life, God may they remember this these words as well. The mystery of Christ and his church. So fill us as you send us and we ask all of this in the name of our savior Jesus and everyone said amen. Now may the The grace of Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you.